Well, good morning. All right, I'm Michael Wilder. I'm Pastor Michael, and um, I just started off wrong. <laughs> I'm used to a certain routine. Let's try that all again. Good morning. All right, I'm waking up. I'm Pastor Michael, and today we began a new message series that we're entitling, I Am. We're going to listen to how Jesus describes himself in the Gospel of John when he finishes the statement, I Am. There's seven specific times in the Gospel of John that he uses that phrase. And every time that he says, I am, and finishes that word, that sentence, something significant is revealed about himself by himself. So the question at hand as we gather for the next seven Sunday mornings is, what do these passages have to say about who is Jesus? So come every Sunday morning with that question, who is Jesus in your mind? You know, the culture around us, they've attempted to label him, they've attempted to describe him, even defame him. While the church certainly desires to love him, image him, and glorify him. And all the while, we go to work, we go to school, go to the ball fields, to our favorite spots, and we pass people who are journeying through this earthly life, who do not fully understand who Christ is or what He has made known through His Word. So listen, this is what we're going to do the next few weeks. We're going to seek as a body of Christ to know Christ more, that we might rightly worship Him, and we might effectively, more effectively, share Him with those people that we intersect with who don't know Christ. I love the conclusion toward the end of John. Uh, gospel, John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. Listen to what John writes. This is really the reason that he writes the entire 21 chapters of this book. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which were not written in this book. He said, listen, I've, I've limited what I've put here. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life. In his name. Jesus said in the middle of the Gospel of John, He says, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. John wanted to convince his readers about who Jesus is. So we will read John with a desire to believe about Christ more ardently and to know Christ more personally in the weeks to come. So, with that in mind, I want to ask you to make a commitment. Over the next seven weeks, I'm going to ask that you will minimally read the Gospel of John twice. Here's how we work out those numbers. All you need to do is read the Gospel of John chapter by chapter, day by day. One chapter a day, and you will achieve the goal of reading through the entirety of the Gospel in just the seven weeks twice. So we want to invite you to do that. As you do that, let's ask that the Holy Spirit will deepen our understanding of our Lord and Savior and... Church, I really want us, as a result of this series, I want our love for Christ, our affection for Christ, to deepen and to increase. We start our journey today in John chapter 6. You're invited to turn in your Bibles there as well. The words will be on the screen, or if you want to grab a pew Bible there in front of you, you can turn to page 755, and you'll find where we're going to be today. As you're turning there, the setting of this passage we're going to look at this morning is the day after Jesus has fed a multitude of what I'm going to call curious folks. 
Some 5,000 men were counted that day who would have likely had wife and children present with them. So perhaps there were some 20,000 people who ate fish and bread on that hillside. Oh, when you read this passage, the crowds, they respond enthusiastically. They're suggesting, even in verse 14 of chapter 6, they're suggesting that Jesus is the long-awaited prophet who was to come. Jesus, it says, perceiving that they were going to take him by force, by force and make him a king, he withdraws by himself. Well, that evening, the disciples leave for Capernaum. They row their boat across the Sea of Galilee, with Jesus later making his way, literally walking across the water, joining them in the boat. John writes that the next day the crowds realized that Jesus was gone, and so they followed, finding him on the other side of the sea. And that's where we pick up the conversation this morning. Look with me in verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. As we get ready to read our text for the day, here in that verse, Jesus cutting to the heart of the matter. He's saying to them, you're seeking me so that your appetite might be satisfied again. He presses in on these, this crowd, these curious individuals' intention of their hearts, and, and He intends on teaching them more than He did the day before when He was with them. He's going to teach them that He is the true bread sent from heaven who will give them not only bread to eat, but eternal life. Not only momentary satisfaction, but satisfaction of the longing of their souls. My prayer this week and this morning has been that He would teach us the same thing as well. Well, you're invited to stand for the reading of God's Word this morning. We do that here at First Southern as a way of acknowledging that God is King and that His Word has total and absolute authority in our lives. Let's pick this up in John chapter 6 in verse 27. Do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which is the Son of Man, the, the Son of Man will give you, for on Him the God the Father has set His seal. Then they said to Him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in Him whom He has sent. So they said to Him, Well then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers, well, they ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. <laughs> They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I 
I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. This church is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we pause in this moment and ask that you would teach us who your Son Christ is. May we know Him more. May we love Him more. And may we indeed be astounded by the grace that He has poured out on our lives. We look to You this morning for our longing and our satisfaction. It's in Christ we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, this week I... As I thought about the crowd following Jesus across the water for a second dining experience, I, uh, I realized it's a bit like chasing your favorite food truck across town. Any food truck lovers? A few? Especially if that food truck's location is random and always changing. Uncertain where he had moved to, they intended to find out. For example, in New York City, one of the, the, the best-known, most famous, well-loved, and hardest-to-find food trucks is a food truck called Carpe Donut. you got to love that, right? Seize the donut every morning if you can find it. They're known for their apple cider donuts. Social media tracking certainly has made it easier to find them. Yesterday, I looked, and on Twitter, they were at Bergen Street and Court Street until 1 p.m. Didn't make it. In Louisville, though, closer to home, one of my favorite food trucks is from El Taco Luchador. Any taco lovers? Getting a little closer to home? All right. Well, Taco Luchador has a permanent restaurant there on Bardstown Road, and uh, not too far from the seminary where I work during the week, and and the uh, problem with it is there's always a line out the door. It doesn't seem whether you get there at 11 or 3 in the afternoon, the place is packed. But every once in a while, someone at the seminary has a brilliant idea to bring food trucks onto campus. And I'm always looking for the black one. The big, shiny, polished up black one. Because it says Taco Luchador on the side. And when that truck shows up, I'm not leaving campus. I'm not going anywhere else. I'm going up to that taco truck. It's the best tacos in town. Well, forgive me this morning if I sound like I'm equating the chasing of food trucks with the seeking of Jesus. But in the case that we read about in John 6, I'm pretty sure it might actually fit pretty well. Thousands that day. Thousands had eaten the best fish sandwich they had ever tasted And they wanted more. You see, they had slept. And they were hungry again. This story of the feeding of the 5,000 shows up in all four of the Gospel accounts. But when you read Mark's account, he adds something to the story that's different than the others. He notes that Jesus sees the crowds. And He feels compassion because they are like sheep. Tens of thousands without a shepherd. And Mark records, and he began to teach them many things. 
And then he follows up with the story that he fed them because it was late in the day and there was no time to go to town. So it seems that these folks had experienced a full day of teaching the day before by Jesus. That's why they call him Rabbi. But on the next day, they're not seeking more teaching from Jesus. They're seeking another fish sandwich. Listen, I want us to be totally honest this morning as we head into this text. We are often like the curious seekers of the best fish sandwich in town. We have our appetites. We have our longings we want satisfied. In a real sense, I think that is the human side of this story that John records. The attempt of the people is to literally satiate their bellies' hunger. Oh, but Jesus, He intends to do more than that. He intends to point them to more than bread and fish. Specifically, He intends to point them to Himself as the living bread that eternally satisfies and eternally saves. Well, in this first of the seven I Am statements, Jesus declares in verse 35 and verse 48, I I am the bread of life. So what does that exactly mean? Minimally, I think our passage suggests that it means Jesus is the satisfaction, the Savior, the Securer, the One who secures our soul for eternity. Let's begin looking by looking at the idea that He is the One who satisfies our deepest longings in life. I think verse 26 and 27 are very telling regarding the seeker's mindset. Verse 26, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking Me not because you saw signs. That's why He performed signs. That the Father might be glorified and that who He was would be revealed. He says, listen, you're not seeking Me because you saw a great sign of the feeding of the 5,000. No, that's not why you're seeking Me. But you're seeking Me because you ate your fill of the loaves. You ate all the bread you wanted. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on Him, God the Father, has set His seal. The Father has said, This is My Son, in whom I am well pleased. That's what the Father voiced at the baptism of Christ. Well, too often, I, what is sought is that which is temporal. It's often very earthly in nature. It perishes. It doesn't endure. Again, if we're transparent, we are all seeking to satisfy desires we have. Sometimes those are relational desires. Sometimes they're material desires. Sometimes they're financial desires. Other times they're spiritual in nature. Sometimes they have immediate implication and impact. At other times, the longer purview is in mind. But listen, we all have walked into this place this morning with longings, with cravings, with desires that are real. I think the way in which we seek to satisfy our appetites, our deepest longings, can be dropped into one of 
four buckets. Sometimes we attempt to satisfy those desires in our life through ourselves. We look to ourselves, we say, I can, I can satisfy myself just in me. One of the dangers of that is what we might really call, we don't want to call it that, but self-worship and self-idolization. I can meet my own need. I, I am independent. I don't need God or anyone else or the world around me. I, I can satisfy myself. I'm self-contained. Sometimes we look outward and we look to other people to satisfy the needs that we have in our hearts and minds. There's nothing wrong with that, of course. Matter of fact, we are to accomplish the one another's in Scripture. We're to bear one another's burdens. We're to love one another. We're to encourage one another. So indeed, we can. We are even instructed that that's part of Christendom, is that we can look to other people and have some of those needs met. But when we're looking for the deepest longings, the the greatest desires of our life to be met by others, guess what? (laughs) We're going to find ourselves disappointed. Oh, probably not on purpose. But those of us who are married, listen, we love our spouses dearly, but at the end of the day, our spouse will disappoint us. We will disappoint our spouse. For those of you who have great friendships, you love your friend deeply, but at the end of the day, at some point, if you stay friends long enough, there's going to be a letdown, a lack of meeting the expectations you have from that individual. Any amens? Been on the receiving end and the giving end of that, right? So sometimes we try to meet those needs within ourselves. Sometimes we look to others to meet those. Sometimes we look to the world structures. Sometimes we look to things like the government to meet our needs. We depend upon them. If we just get the right political leader in place, everything will be made well and I'll be satisfied. No. Why? Because they're good people. They're going to fail you at the end of the day. Sometimes we look into the world for material things that we want. If I can just get that better house, that better car, that bigger toy, that better fishing pole, that just that right shotgun, right? It's beautifully engraved, man. It's engraved, gold engravement on the side. It'll, make, it'll just be better. I'll be a better shot. Sometimes we do turn our attention. Even people who a part of the church, often will turn their attention to what they understand to be God. They look for a spiritual force to meet their needs. They recognize it's not in themselves. They recognize that people will disappoint. They recognize that the world's systems will not always satisfy. And so they look outward and upward. But oftentimes, if they're not looking, there's only one true God. And when those folks are looking, and not looking to God Himself, they find themselves disappointed. And sometimes, even when they're directing it to the God we know, they're seeking with wrong motives. And they come up short. We all have desires. We all walked into this place this morning with longings of our soul. When Jesus tells them, to not work for the food that perishes or the food that spoils, that which is temporal and will not satisfy the long game. 
That's what he's saying. Don't work for food that perishes or spoils. We ought to hear in that, in their context, a clear rebuke against a purely materialistic notion of the kingdom. They, they were perceiving God's kingdom in a material way. Oh, when the king comes, when the prophet returns, when the Messiah makes his way here, all things will be put into place. The governmental system will be right. We'll be, we'll be relieved of Roman oppression and we'll have our freedom again. And there will be bounty and there will be plenty. We'll never lack anything. They're a lot like the Samaritan woman we looked at last week. Do you see the connection? Oh, if you had known the one who asked you, give me a drink, you would have turned the tables and you would have asked him, give me a drink that eternally satisfies. (laughs) Give me that drink. So that I won't have to come here anymore. And I will never thirst again. That was the Samaritan woman's response. She is thinking in a materialistic, temporal way. Oh, you mean the kingdom of God? You mean this thing which you are talking about? This living water will satisfy a craving I have. And it will make my life easier and more convenient. So these fish sandwich hunters are asking for something similar. They really were looking for a miracle worker who would fill their stomachs. Oh, if Jesus would become their king, then all things would be better. A better way of life. They wanted in the immediate what they perceived came from a powerful, miracle-working king. And Jesus really says to them, you are looking for me to satisfy yourself in the temporal realm, but I have been sent to save your souls, not to make you another fish sandwich. Jesus, church, He is the one that has the capacity. He is the only one that can satisfy our deepest longings. We seek it in self. We seek it in others. We seek it in the world, in the world's systems, and the world's possessions. And we need to turn our attention and seek it in Christ. Jesus is indeed the one who will and can and does satisfy the deepest longings of our soul. If you're finding yourself adrift, if you find yourself thinking, I, I, I'm just not finding any level of satisfaction in life. Can I just lovingly call you back? Fix your eyes on the author and the perfecter of your faith because He is the only one. It doesn't matter whether you're nine years old or 90 in this room. Christ is the only one that can satisfy your soul. Verse 28, we begin to think about the idea that Jesus is the Savior of our soul. Verse 28, then they said to Him, what what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, 
This is the work of God, that you believe in Him who has, whom He has sent. This is the work you need to do. You need to believe in Me whom the Father has sent. Listen, the crowd, when you read this passage as a whole, the crowd doesn't get it. They think that they can perform in order to receive eternal life. Well, it makes sense in a human way, does it not? Nothing is free. You've heard that before, right? No free meal ticket. It's it's not free. You've got to earn whatever it is you get in life. It makes a little bit more sense when you think about this audience and where this conversation is happening. By the time we get to the end of chapter 6, we find that this is happening not outside, not on a hillside. It's a much smaller number than 20,000, but they're gathered in the synagogue. And this conversation is happening. So these folks are Jewish background or Jewish proselytes. They have an understanding of the law, the Torah. And in their mindset, and certainly in their modern day version of Judaism, It was law after law, work after work. Some 600 regulations that they had to keep. Their faith was defined in a framework of works. And so it only seems normal that they would say, what is the work of God that we must do to have this? That day, we don't know. But perhaps, there's a little hint here in verse 31. It perhaps was that day that they were reading from Exodus. And in the reading of that, they were reading of how God had provided manna in the wilderness to God's people whom He was rescuing. The folks had grumbled and they had complained. They were desiring that their bellies would be filled. And so perhaps that day the reading was about the giving, the provision of the manna in the wilderness. The mentality amongst those who were gathered in that synagogue, if I want to be satisfied in this world, I have to work to get what I have to make me happy and make my soul happy. That's their mentality. Jesus makes clear that that's not what God requires. It's not a works to get. It's a faith He has given. So that's what He says. He says, listen, God requires of you belief. That's what he tells them. He says, this is the work of God, that you believe in Him whom He has sent. And then he proceeds to make it even more clear that the faith of which he speaks is resultant from God's activity in their lives. You see, listen, you don't even have to muster this up. This is something that the Father gives. Hear Jesus' words in John 6, verse 37 and 45 and 65, verse 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast him out. That word all is a, it's singular. So he's talking about a group of people. The group whom the Father gives to me will come to me. There's a lot to be said about that, minimally. (laughs) And I pointed this out to you before, but have you lately thought about yourself as a gift from the Father to the Son? 
You are a gift. You're the Father's gift. I'm the Father's gift to His Son, the Lord Jesus. What does that say about you? What does that say about how valuable we are in our Maker's sight? The Father says, Son, I'm giving these to you. And Jesus says, listen, all whom the Father gives to me, they will indeed come to me. There's no doubt here. It's certain. Those whom the Father gives will believe, will come. And whoever comes to me, whoever believes in me, Jesus says, I will never cast out. It's a hinting at the fact that Christ secures our soul. Verse 45, it is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. How do we come to the Father? I mean, how do we come to Christ? It says here that all were taught by God. We come through the teaching. Paul says, how will they know unless they hear? And how will they hear without a proclaimer, a preacher of the gospel? We come, generally, to Christ through the teaching of God's Word. Oh, teachers, let me encourage you this morning. I'm so grateful for you in our church. Those of you who are teaching little ones, And older ones. You're teaching them the things. You're teaching them the sacred scriptures. You're teaching them the gospel. And Paul says in Romans chapter 1, the gospel has the power unto salvation. Amen? That's what we teach. Jesus listen, all who have learned from the Father, they will come to Me. Jesus says, listen, part of this learning is I have made myself known. That's part of your learning. And all who have learned from the Father will come to me. Verse 65, And He said, This is why I told you that no one can come to the Father unless it is granted Him by the Father. I don't pretend to say that these aren't hard sayings in Scripture. But what it should remind us of is that the Father from eternity past has placed His love upon us who have believed. And He has taught us along the way and He has drawn us to Christ. He has, matter of fact, given us to Christ. And He has promised that all whom the Father has given will come. And I'll never cast them out. Oh my goodness, people. Eternity past. God placed His covenantal love upon you and me if we know Christ. And then gave us to the Son. And then through the teaching of the Word, we came to the Son in faith and belief. Both the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter echo the same idea. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, for by grace you have been saved. Church, it's not our works of righteousness. The prophet says, listen, our works of righteousness are as filthy rags before God. The best that we've got to offer are like a bunch of oily shop rags in the corner. They mount to nothing. It's by grace you've been saved through faith. And this faith, this is not your own doing. You did not. I didn't conjure up faith. Matter of fact, Paul says, and this, this faith is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. 
not a result of works so that no one may boast. We can't boast about our salvation. We, uh, we can't boast about our works. We can boast about Christ who died on the cross and saved us. Peter says the same thing in 1 Peter 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy, His grace, His mercy, He's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Amen? In eternity past, God set His covenantal love on us. In eternity past, He chose to give us as a gift to the Son. And the Son received that gift. And indeed, the Son taught us who the Father was. And through all of that, we came to faith and trust in Christ. Even the very faith in which we place back in repentance to God, it was a gift, not our works, grace. In John 6, verse 33 through 30 through 33, the crowd asks for an authentication. Okay, all right, Jesus, by what authority do you say this? They, they wanted to compare, as you read that, they wanted to compare Jesus to Moses. And they expected that Jesus would be greater, that what Jesus would give would be greater than Moses. Jesus declares to them that it was not Moses who had provided the man in the wilderness to begin with. It was the Father, verse 32, who had done that. And now He makes clear that the Father had done more than that. He had sent the true bread from heaven to give sustaining and eternal life. Verse 33, For the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. The giving of the true bread from heaven was not just for the Jews. It was for all the nations. It was for the Gentiles alike. That's why he says, to the world. That's us. The synagogue crowd doesn't understand it. Like the Samaritan woman, they respond, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus, in verse 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. Jesus is indeed is our Savior of our soul. Our work, church, is simply to believe. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ as Savior, today is the day of your salvation. Please, I'm begging you, trust Christ. If you sense that inclination, that's God's gift of faith. Turn to Him. Believe. Paul writes again to the church at Rome. He says, listen, if you will believe in your heart, your mind, and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. John writes in John 3.16, a verse we know well, for God so what? Loved who? The world. Not just the Jews, the world. That He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting, eternal life. Amen? And that's what John is writing about the whole time, these 21 pages. He wants to convince his readers that this is Christ. And when Jesus says, I, I am the bread of life, He's saying, I'm your Savior. I can satisfy the deepest longing and the greatest need of your life. I can give you eternal life. Feast on me. Believe on me. Trust in 
me. Our work, Jesus says, simply to believe. That's it. That's all we got to do. Finally, in our passage, we learn that Jesus is the one who secures our soul forever. Quickly, let me read these verses. But I, Verse 36, But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives to me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of the one who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me. God's will, church, is really clear in Scripture. All we need to do to know God's will predominantly, almost in every situation, is just read the Bible. And Jesus says, here's the will of the Father. Here's the will of the one who sent me. That I should lose nothing that he has given to me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. Isn't that a beautiful thing? The will of the Father is that Jesus, His Son, who received the gift of us, would not lose one of us. Think about that. If you have trusted Christ, Jesus is not going to let you go. He's never going to let you go. Listen, it wasn't you that brought you to faith. The Father gave you the faith. The Father set His love on you in eternity past. The Father taught you. The Father gave you to the Son. And gave us the Son and His death that we might have life. If the Father has done all of that in eternity, why would He let Jesus let you go? Matter of fact, the Scripture says, even when we are, hear this good word, even when we are faithless, have you ever been faithless for a season? He remains faithful. Later in the Gospel of John, it says, no one will snatch any of these from me. Not one. So when we confess Christ, when we are changed, when our souls are regenerated and made new, and we're given life, it is forever. That's why we call it eternal life. Amen? Come on, church. You don't have to work to, keep, to get or keep your salvation in Christ. It's a done deal. The Scripture calls us to persevere, but it also guarantees Jesus will lose nothing. Not one of us. Oh, and it doesn't stop there. We sang of this morning. Not only will He not lose us, but He will on the last day raise us up. We're going to be resurrected. And we're going to have new bodies that don't hurt, that don't ache. Amen. If I told y'all this last week, if I did, forgive me, I'm getting old and forgetful. I was at the eye doctor, complaining about my eyes, it's still not right, it's still half of you. This side is blurry, this side is clear. I don't know what that says, but anyway. And I'm complaining to the doctor about these issues. And she looks at me, she says, well, you are 47. I'm thinking, I thought a good this morning, I'm thinking, and you are fired. (laughs) 
Is there another doctor in the house? Listen, we're going to be raised up, church. Christ was the first fruit of resurrection that you and I as brothers and sisters will follow in that resurrection. And all of salvation history will be brought to a conclusion. And we will dwell with the true God, true King in our midst. In the new heavens and the new earth. It is by the Father's activity that we have come to faith. It is by the Father's will and we, that we will persevere and we will be resurrected, Jesus says, on the last day. Let me conclude our time together this morning thinking about the fact that Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Let me ask you a couple of questions. First, we've talked about the fact that Jesus is the one who satisfies the longing of our soul. Where are you looking? Upon whom or what are you dependent for the satisfaction of your soul? Is it yourself? Is it others? Is it the world and the world's goods? My friend, every one of those are going to come up short. Give it long enough. But the one who will never, ever come up short in this satisfaction of the soul, is Christ Jesus. If you're in a season of struggle, I just want to invite you. Turn and fix your eyes on the altar and perfecter of faith. Evaluate those other ways of trying to satisfy your longings. You'll find that I'm right. More importantly, you'll find that Christ is right. Turn toward Him, I beg you this morning. Oh, and Jesus is indeed the one who eternally saves our soul. So if you're here this morning and maybe you've played church for 50 years, maybe you've sat in that exact pew for decades, and you're trusting your works, you're hoping that the eternal scale will work out to your favor. It won't. The only thing that will tip that scale is the righteousness of Christ. Trust Him for your salvation. And for those of us who know Christ, I was eight years old when God saved me and gave me new life. When I heard a man preach on John 3.16 and heard of Christ's love for me. Listen, we need to be reminded Not only have we been saved, but we are being saved. Day by day, we're being made like Christ. Turn toward the bread of life, and you'll find eternal salvation. And He will raise us up. Matter of fact, Jesus secures our soul. Where are you resting your security in? I don't know about you, I'm looking forward to the trumpets. I'm looking forward to Christ's return. And I'm delightfully looking forward to my eternity with Him in a resurrected body. If you don't know Christ, join us. Join Him. Partake of Him. Believe on Him. At the end of the day, I really do want us as a church body to experience the satisfaction of our deepest longings in Christ and Christ alone. And I want us to know Christ more personally 
And I want us to love Him more as we work our way through these weeks. Christ said, I am the bread of life. Come, partake, enjoy, taste and see that my life is good. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for our time in the Word. Thank you for these men and women. Father, and boys and girls, we pray, Father, that for those who do not know Christ, they would trust you this morning. Grant them understanding. Grant them faith. Lord, I I beg you to move on their hearts this morning and save them. Lord, I pray that as a whole church body, we would look toward you as living water and living bread. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.